Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. We've got a great show lined up for tonight. And if you're hungry for more Midnight Menu Plus One that we can dish out in the next 45 minutes, we have all kinds of extra stuff like recipes, guest gossip, sneak peeks into what's co- who's coming up next week, and much more on our, on our website, it's neworleans.com. And while you're there, you can check out our blog or sign up for our newsletter. You can follow us on all kinds of time-sucking social media. You can get all this info on itsneworleans.com or just Google Midnight Menu Plus One. Tonight's show is brought to us by our friends at Petite Pet Care, dog walking and pet sitting, loving care when you're not there. You can find out all about Petite Pet Care at their website, PetitePetCare.com, or call them up at 504-300-9PET. Thanks also to Monkey Hill Bar and Magazine Street. Check out their happy hour Wednesdays from 3 to 8 p.m., $3.50 wells and a dollar off beer, wine, and signature cocktails. Be sure to tell them Ray and Margo sent you. Now, each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margo and I invite a member of New Orleans' restaurant and food community to join us, and we invite them to bring along a friend, a plus one. We never know who their plus one's going to be. Sometimes it's a friend, a neighbor, a family member, or a fellow restaurant business colleague. And our special guest tonight, Margo, at Midnight Menu Plus One is uh, very mysterious. She's, got, she's a woman of a lot of different talents and interests, and I cannot wait to talk to her. But before we do that, I want to tell you about, uh, I went to one of your favorite places. I broke one of my rules today. Um, <laughs> you that, left Orleans Parish? I left Orleans Parish and actually ate. I've only done this maybe a dozen times in eight years. But, I mean, I leave Orleans Parish once in a while, but then I usually, like, skip the meal until I get back. The folks is disloyal. <laughs> and um, spending my money outside Orleans Parish bothers me. I know, you know I'm crazy on this stuff. I don't expect anybody else to go along with this. But I went to, uh, I went to a place that, you're, you know, that you've recommended before. That I, really, I love Fobang and Gretna. Uh-huh. That place is amazing. But also Fota Bay is terrific. Uh-huh. You, you, you gush about that. And so we went there, Kathy and I did, and had just this amazing beef stew. It was, like, spicy. and just had, you know, really complex flavor. And it was just great for like, this casual, divey place. You know, it looks like a warehouse outside, mm-hmm. as you know. And um, I just – I was really glad I went there. I didn't feel guilty at all about spending my money outside of Orleans Power. I may, I may wake up in the middle of the night with sweating, realizing that, <laughs> you know, that God's going to call me accountable for this. I but think you're going to sleep better be okay. because you're, you're – uh, going outside your comfort zone and i'm and i'm glad you had a great experience yeah it was a very very good experience and 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 inexpensive too you know you can go there and like both of us can just eat till we're stuffed for like twenty dollars including tax and tip it was just fantastic so well there's a little rumor about their restaurant i i could be are we allowed to say rumors on the air i well i'll just, just say, say alleged. i Use heard the word alleged allegedly they okay. are opening up back on tulane avenue Wow! I hope I, I'm not saying anything that is. Um, well, if that were true, on y- yes, then I could enjoy this food and not feel guilty about my purchase at the same time. Absolutely, I wow. hope the rumor is true because bef- uh, ten years ago they had a restaurant across from the medical center on Tulane Avenue, wow. and it was, you know, just as great as. Well, that place is growing so much over there. I wouldn't be surprised. That'd be awesome. So. And they don't need a fancy space. I mean, they're using a really plain space. It's all about the food, really. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, um, let's introduce our guest. I cannot wait to speak to her. Our special guest tonight is Midori Tajeri Bird of Nola Voodoo Cakes. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know how to introduce you. I was trying to, I was trying to think <laughs> of how to do it, but your resume is too long. You do too many different things. So why don't you tell us the thing that you're, uh, that's, that's most food-related that you do, and then we'll get into some of the others. Okay. Uh, so to be mo- most food-related, I think, uh, well, my name is Midori Tajiri Bird of Nola Voodoo Cakes, and that's why I'm here today with you all. Um, I guess mainly I am an artist, so that kind of manifests itself in a lot of different ways, and in this instance, in food-related. So um, in addition to that, I also do custom hats. I'm a makeup artist in town. And um, I do a lot of the parade culture activities as well. Um, But as an artist in terms of food, um, one of the things I love about creating food is that as an art, it's something that gets to touch all the senses. So it's something that you Mm. get to experience on every sense, you know, um, 
taste, smell, touch, uh, visual, even uh, emotional and psychological, it affects you. And particularly huh. because I specialize in baking, uh, baking to me is the most celebratory to me of all of the foods. It's special occasion. Um, it's very nurturing. Well, you got to slow down. You've had about 40 different ah. things that we could spend an hour on right there. Okay, so how does it, <laughs> how does it touch people psychologically what you do? Um, baking in particular, I think, because it's usually a special occasion food or it's oh. something, it's a treat. Um, it's something that I think is more nurturing to me than other types to me than other types of food, and it's more artistic. So visually, I can do more with it. Um, I like to specialize in custom cakes, but I like to be able to make sure that everything I do not only really tastes good, but delivers visually in, in every sense of the word as well. Oh, give us an example of that. What's uh, what's something you're really visually proud of that you recently baked? Um, there's some examples on the website and on my Facebook at um, nolavoodoocakes.com that I did some sculptural cakes for friends. Um, uh, as also as a dog lover, I did some recent dog cakes and pup cakes, so sculpting people's um, beloved pets. So it's not a generic pet, it's sort of a likeness of their pet. Likeness of their exact right. pet. Um, I did a beautiful champagne bottle cake for a friend of mine for a birthday. Um, I did my own birthday cake a while back, which was a corset cake. So it was a little burlesque cake in the shape of a corset. Um, just fun. And why did things. you make your own cake a uh, uh, corset? Do you do you uh, do you dance? Uh, I was. I've been involved in different dance uh, things in town as well as parade culture. I think that one was. I like to do theme parties for myself and for other people, and so that was a Moulin Rouge party. So it was a little bit of a can can cake. So you made your own cake for your own birthday. Of course. Wow. Of course. Well, yeah, nobody made my own better, wedding huh? cake. I mean, you know. You made your own wedding made cake. Made my own wedding cake. I've it's, never met anyone who's made their own wedding cake. It was insane, but I did. Yeah. Wow. And and mm -hmm. are you just so thrilled how it turned out? What did, what did it look like? Um, I would say as an artist, I have this thing that whatever, no matter how much I'd work on something, I always think, gosh, I could have done more. Mm. And I might have been like awake for like forty eight hours working on a piece and uh, getting really detailed. And then e even when I'm done, I still look at it and think, gosh, I, I could have done more. <laughs> but truthfully, when you step away from your work, it, it, you know, I'm still really happy with well, it. Well, describe it for us. Was it big? Uh, it was based on, actually, it's interesting. It was based on a bird theme. So my husband's last name is Bird. So we've been doing uh -huh. a lot of bird and bird cage themes. And I, was I wanted to make a bird cage cake. And the cage that I made ended up not being on the cake, but it ended up being part of a hat the following year. So one of the parades I'm in oh. is the St. Catherine's Day Parade, oh, sure. uh, which with the hats. And so I ended up making a hat out of the cake, the cage that was going to be on my cake. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Very now, so Bird is your husband's last yeah. name, and you've kept your last name. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us your family history? Because it's an unusual um, sure. It's an unusual name even for being Japanese, I think. It's not a common Japanese name, uh, but my Japanese family is samurai. Um, so it's, uh, it's a little uncommon because of that. Um, but uh, I, when we married, I wanted to keep some of that with me as well. But he also has a great name. And yes. I'm happy to be married. So you him, so. celebrated yeah. his, the joining of two mm -hmm. families and did the cake in his honor of his name that's sweet yeah and were your parents from japan or your grandparents from japan uh or? no my uh well my mom is born in i'm originally from chicago and my uh mom is born in chicago my family came here um uh, near the end of the uh 1800s they were the la one of the last oh. feudal families in the samurai lineage and um after during world war ii my grandparents and his brothers both fought for america Oh. Um, but then uh, some of them decided to expatriate overseas, so half of my family is American and half of them are Dutch. But Dutch. they're all Japanese, uh, American or European, yeah. Wait, so they left America to go to Holland? Uh, well, that particular side of my family, when he was stationed in Italy, he is when he left the armed services and stayed in Europe, and then he ended up uh, working with Leger and a bunch of different um, artists overseas, and oh. he's a, he's all, they're all have you been to artists. Japan? I haven't because my family's in Holland, so I go there to see them. Oh. But yeah. Um, ha your family history, have you, and being an artist, have you ever represented that in a cake or any of the other ar art forms that you do? Do you feel that there's... Uh, uh, I think it definitely comes out in artwork, even sometimes when you don't expect it to. 
Um, it definitely is something that culturally leaks out into things. Um, I think that I have a little bit of the um, Asian overachiever obsessiveness, <laughs> and that I need your tiger to be baker. Doing, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> I need to be doing all of the things all of the time and producing. Otherwise, I have like, you know, guilt over not producing more. So, so there's that. But in terms of the nature of the work, I probably do more cultural work in actual artwork than in other things. Although. Uh, kind of funny story but when in college one of our art pieces I did with a girlfriend who's also half Japanese we did a series about American food and Japanese food where and we and it's going to sound disgusting and it really was but we made sushi <laughs> out of all American like Americana type of food like hamburgers and um, like we use we made sushi you know we peanut butter and jelly we made like peanut butter and jelly you know, sushi that sounds awesome crispy stuff um, well, I you know just I mean it was also because she was part Hawaiian and Hawaiian culture does use a lot of them like because they use spam and different things so it was kind of building off of that that they had you know the way that Hawaiian culture has incorporated American food into Japanese culture um, so it was building on that as an art piece, and it probably didn't taste great, <laughs> and it looked weird, but it was co- it was college. Yeah, yes. and the concept, I mean, it's <laughs> nice. You do something that means something to you. Mm-hmm. You weren't just doing a project nope. to... And where'd you go to school? Where was this? Uh, I went to, it's the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, which oh, yeah. is, it's not part of the Art Institute, it's the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, mm-hmm. and one thing I will say about the kind of artwork and the, the students who were my peers who kind of came out of that time is that there's a lot of conceptual artwork that came out of that time period, particularly from that school and in the Midwest. So um, in that sense, there was more to the meaning behind your work than necessarily what you saw visually. Mm -hmm. So even though I was a visual artist and I still am, uh, making sure that there was meaning behind what you did was sometimes as important, if not more, than what we were doing. Interesting. So moving like in food Mm -hmm. and being an artist with food, obviously... The process is important, the and the visual, and the end result. Mm-hmm. So, was it easy for you to transition from? Was that a from conceptual to? Did you always have that in you? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm getting. It I out. would say that, like, uh, as a process, m- more people in my family are artists than are not. Probably in my immediate really? family, people that I know, they're all. Uh, photographers or filmmakers or sculptors or in the arts of some kind writers and such Um, so I grew up in an environment where that's the norm to be producing artwork and more than anyone else I think a lot of people's families they feel like oh the you know they're more interested in if you what your grades are or if you're going to be a doctor and I no matter what I achieve in life I do feel like my family is more concerned with well what what kind of artwork are you doing right now what are you producing and that's more uh, important so growing up in that environment it's almost second nature that I'd be doing artwork and uh, less of a challenge because it's always there so um, taking on doing something like food I really started as a kid because. And this is kind of what the sentimentality and the, psych- the psychological side comes in, is that our, our best friend neighbors across the street were like the most idyllic Norman Rockwell perfect family to me. The father was from the South, and he played ragtime piano. It was a big, <laughs> big Southern, you know, white family. He looked like Santa Claus. <laughs> the mom was a baker, and, and she did work in uh, one of the more well-known, really nice um, bakeries in Chicago and did really beautiful um, pastries. But she was also a home Southern cook, and going over their house, there was just always mountains of food and music all the time and it was the most beautiful environment so that I thought to myself well that's what I want to do when I grow up so everything she was doing I'm super interested in she'd be the kind of person who, like would drop off a bag of croissants for you in the morning like oh I just happened to make these this morning here's some <laughs> croissants for you it was just magical so that was something to me that was really impressive so I began as a kid working with food mainly baking probably because of that and um, doing as much as I could, teaching myself or learning on the job and helping people uh, to be able to learn that. So that kind of came almost before coming to my own as an artist, I would say. So when did first. you come to New Orleans? How did you get here? Um, I've been here for a little over three years. And um, when I first came, I was thinking, I, I thought, gosh, this is probably the fir- one of the questions they're going to ask me. Was like, people always ask you when you move here and why. And it's kind of a corny story, but it's a true story, so I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Did I was. It involve a unicorn. It probably involves unicorns. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> um, so, 
One of the things that I like about New Orleans is that uh, it's described as the most like being in another country without leaving this country definitely and when i was looking for a new place to move all the places that i lived in before i didn't necessarily feel like i wanted to live in again i was like i really needed something new and i'd been in chicago for a while and while i totally love my hometown i Mm. sometimes you need something new so i'd been reading my sister's like book club book which was eat pray love (laughs) i don't know it's super (laughs) dorky to say but i was reading it because i needed to read something on the bus and there's a chapter in it where she talks about how in order to be happy your word that describes you needs to match your environment. So it's not just traveling and enjoying places, but to really um, be happy living in an environment, you have to match it. Your description of yourself should really match where you're from. And she felt she no longer matched where she was from. And I thought, gosh, that's how I feel. I I I love Chicago, but I no longer feel like I match this place. And where would I match? And so I thought, well, first I have to think of what is my word. And my word uh, I chose for myself was celebrate. And not necessarily like parting up, but that I like to celebrate people and food and stuff. And if you like something, you want everyone to take a bite of it. You want everyone to try this thing on or do these things. And you want to celebrate. You love someone. You want, hey, everyone, look at this great person that I love. I thought that's really, you know, essential to my personality is that I want to share the joy of things and celebrate things. And I thought, well, where in the world would match the word celebrate and immediately New Orleans? So wow. that was it. So I it was within three days, and I well, that's packed a, that up is everything a fitting. I think down. that's a fitting um, introduction for your plus one because I don't know who he is, but I see he's got food Yay! to celebrate. So uh, let's celebrate together with what with uh, what he has, and I'm, he'll explain and to us, I guess, inter- why he's here and what he has for us. All right. Uh, uh, who first, are you? I am Matthew Rackley. <laughs> yes, <laughs> owner, founder, and proprietor of Crescent Cookery. So. Yes, that actually is a uh, smoked brisket. It's uh, little individual portions of some things we do on our office catering menu. Wow. Uh, there's uh, caramelized red onions, uh, aioli, Swiss, and uh, uh, Meloton pickles on there. Ooh. So we do uh, catering trays for this for office buildings or for little luncheons all the time. Wow. This is really good. Now, how do you know uh, Maduri? Uh, well, we just met. Yeah, about two or three weeks ago, um, I decided it was time to really branch out and try and expand the uh, catering business that I do. And I uh, just put an ad out looking for a pastry chef. I interviewed a couple of people, and she just blew everybody away. Mm. And, uh, Yay. Yeah. Wait, so she is your pastry <laughs> yeah. chef now, too? Well, I mean, we she has her own business. Right, I'm sure right. she does Noah Voodoo Cakes, and we just kind of work together together. Uh, Pulling our resources, whether it be in advertising, marketing, uh, it gives us to whenever she uh, meets a potential client that wants desserts for a wedding or something, uh, she can suggest a caterer. Mm-hmm. By the same token, if I have a catering, a lot of times in the past I've had people say, well, do you do cakes, desserts? In the past, I've had to bring somebody on maybe to help me for that one party, but now with Midori around, I have somebody that's really skilled that can I can offer that as a service, you know, onto the business I already have. So so y'all can celebrate each other's talents and go. work well together. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, it's, it's been great. It's been great so far. And it's already paid dividends. We've already, uh, a lot of people have seen some of the things we put together and some of the things that she offers and they brought us on already. So wow. it's starting to work. Congratulations. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we met through a mutual friend, and that was the other thing I was going to say I love about New Orleans is that every time you meet a new person, you realize you already know them. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> You're uh, no more than two or you three were, degrees of separation exactly. from yeah, anyone exactly. in the city. Everybody says, oh, it's a small city. It's like, no, I mean, the population here is higher than the county I came from, New Jersey. I never ran anybody I ever knew, ever. Well, it's because people there. are friendly here. Because, you know? Yeah, because people there are working and they're just going to their living rooms at night and just you know want to be left alone. And here people have so many friends. I mean, Maduri and I were talking before, uh, right before, and uh, realized that we had, you know, 20, 30 friends in common. <laughs> I, I can't believe you only lived here three years, and you know so many people, and you're involved in so I many I do a lot of stuff. And, yeah. But that's the thing, too, is that it's, uh, it's regardless of the amount of people you know, we do more here. We get out more, right. we do more, we experience more, so people are interacting more as well. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it's uh, just since we've gotten to know each other and we've been working together, it's I've just kind of... Mention that to some, oh, yeah, I know her. You know, I, I <laughs> talked to five or six people that know her, and, you know, I'm sure vice versa. We bump into it, a lot of the same people. So it's that kind of town. Mm. Now, I have a question about, um, Midori, I heard you mention um, parade culture. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know, 
what, what, how you have worked and what you've done in, and what that means with parade culture. Parade culture, um, I guess, and when I'm the term I'm using is kind of the uh, the year-round culture of not just Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras of. Uh, of the additional parades throughout the year, but also the kind of culture that we live in that people will be up for a second line at the drop of a hat, right. or that people would have a second line for something that's not just celebratory, but it might be uh, a memorial for someone who's passed away, or because somebody's birthday, or for any, any, you know, any reason at all. It's the celebratory culture that, um, that people feel like celebrating, and not only celebrating, but getting out in the streets with music and an outfit. And that the average person and grandma you know down the street, she probably also has her um, Saints tutu and her wig that she'll throw on and glitter in her house. Um, so it's that kind of culture that's a year-round culture of celebration and costuming and music. Um, uh, so how yeah, I most of the country yeah. has a Fourth of July parade, maybe. <laughs> And it annoys about half the town. They're like, <laughs> right. ah, traffic, ugh, that, those, that noise again. And people don't realize, like New Orleans, it's like every day there's a parade somewhere if you look hard enough. And mm -hmm. pretty much there's a big civic event every few weeks. Uh, so how many, list out for us just oh quickly the, uh, all the different sort of formal groups you're in that parade regularly. <laughs> oh, and, then, uh, and I'm sure you, you do twice as much parading as that, but... Um, yeah, when I when I first moved here, uh, the first group I joined was the Organ Grinders. Um, Love I, them. My my main heart right now is a sub is Chewbacca's. Um, Chewbacca's, I'm, the uh, intergalactic crew of yes. Chewbacca's, right? Intergalactic <laughs> crew of Chewbacca's, and um, it has a million sub crews of more awesome uh, nerdiness, and I'm captain of the crew of Puke. Which Puke. Puke. Crew of Puke. Yes, I've never heard of that. Have you wow. heard of that? I, I've heard of it. And then <laughs> it's the Mystic Crew Puke, and yeah. it is yeah, a really sub crew. It, I mean, it, you know what? It's, it's all, an acronym. It's yeah. all rainbows and glitter. It's just fine. <laughs> um, this food and this sandwich is so good, I could even eat it through. Even through my puke. Yes, Very there you good. go. The <laughs> that was um, my goal. So. It's spelled P U E W C, and it stands for People for the Inclusion of Unicorn Elves and Wine Bots in Chewbacca. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I'm the captain you know, this that, year. That, come on, you just copied. They have that one of those in Dubuque, I know. <laughs> right, in exactly. Iowa, yeah. Come on. We're an offshoot. Uh, <laughs> and so then this year I um, extended it to be Puke Farm, which is uh, the name I just said. So it's people for the inclusion of unicorns, elves, and wine bots and Chewbacca's, and uh, fantasy, anime, Lord of the Rings, and magic. So, so it's how the, do you make a, a freak, cake you? for that? <laughs> what does that cake look I like? I did make a bunch of unicorn stuff this year. Um, we had a little. We had our, our kind of kickoff party for puke at a shop called Kawainola on Magazine, who I super I've love. I've seen that and I haven't oh been God. in. I love it. What's it called again? Kawainola, and it's all kawaii culture, which is Japanese. Wait, where is this? On Magazine Street, thirty five twelve Magazine. Thirty five twelve. Okay. Uh, and uh, they have all okay, kinds of so right like before Louisiana, one block uptown of Louisiana. Kind of by Della Chase ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they have all kinds of like, uh, you know, mostly Japanese themed uh, Sanrio Tokidoki type of kawaii culture stuff. So we did our unicorn kickoff uh, for our parade crew there for Crew of Puke. And I made a bunch of unicorn themed, um, just uh, decorated cookies and marshmallows and all kinds. Uh, I made king cakes because it was Mardi Gras. So we made baby king cakes and king cake and stuff. So, so yeah. Now, have you um, s participated in the parade culture work-wise or directly um, by riding or you know i've done uh not mardi gras well same i live in the irish channel so oh, yeah. i've different things not i've been you know i've been in the restaurant business in the city for a long time that doesn't afford you a lot of free time so <laughs> it's hard to commit to something you know but at the same time uh, there's been a lot of people that have said we well, can you jump in with be a swan wrangler you know for the uh Daughters of Lear. And oh, you're, you're involved Doors of Lear. Yeah. Well, oh. I have been in the past two or three different years. Love them. Swan yeah, our good friends. The Swan started. Basically, uh, you're the guy. Is that, that a euphemism or is that a literal? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked. I'll, I'll be sure to ask them. Now, uh, basically, uh, your job is to wear a kilt, uh, push back the crowds, and carry the booze for the girls. So. Okay. Yeah, not a hard oh, job. Oh, that's a sweet way to describe it. Yeah. A swan wrangler. Right. Yeah. Not like a bodyguard in a skirt no, no. <laughs> although i that would have been fine oh, this <laughs> I carry the, the news the about yeah. you know this year new york has their rival st patrick's parade because they don't like the way the other one's being managed and that everybody's angry about it and new orleans st patrick's parade is just like you hardly hear about it and then all of a sudden it's there and it's 
it's it's like six hours, right? Well, Five hours? Six, well, and we had four parades. Yeah. Well, right. between Block Party and the Uptown Parade and the Downtown mm -hmm. Parade, you know, there's... Insane. It's, it's kind of like Hanukkah. It just lasts forever. You know? <laughs> it is. It is. Like, the whole thing. Because people, like you are saying, too, people think that Mardi Gras is just one day or even a week, but that it's more than a month. And right. all of the Mardi Gras stuff that we've been doing, you know, it started with Joan of Arc yeah. for, at Epiphany, and it really goes on until the end of... I mean, I'm going to do one more for French Quarter Fest, so all of the parades that I've been in, it's kind of been nonstop. So it keeps going. Now, Midoriya, just to change subjects, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by the tattoo on your hand. Let's see that. Oh. Um, I love ink, but that's that's unusual. You don't see too many people that have tattoos on the palm of their hands. So uh, what's that all about? It, this is my um, samurai family crest. Wow. So it's my Japanese family crest. It's my only tattoo, but it is... Um, it's significant. So my great okay, uncle. Okay, so when most people get their only tattoo, it's like something on the back of their, <laughs> you know, ankle or something, you know, whatever, a small. And well, you, so you decide far, to put your yeah. only one on your palm of your hand. So the significance mm -hmm. is uh, that it's my family crest, um, and my great uncle had both of his palms tattooed, a different kind of a mandala. But when oh. I decided. Uh, to have a tattoo, I wanted to have the crest, but in the same placement that he had it. So at the same time that I got mine, uh, without knowing it, my cousin got one as well. We both had gotten them on the home. It was kind of strange. Come on. Same Across place? the country. And then since then, uh, several of my female relatives, uh, an aunt, a cousin, another cousin have gotten them either on the back of the palm or on the wrist or on the, t the foot. So right now, oddly, it's become a female rite of passage thing in the family you've started a tradition i think so <laughs> <laughs> and uh is the position of its significance in the samurai culture i mean is anything to do with the I hands don't have to think so i don't know uh, my great uncle did have his palms tattooed and it was a slightly different story he was friends with a woman um named valley myers who was a famous cafe dancer in paris in the 50s who was super duper eccentric and she did artwork that she sold to like the beatles out of the chelsea motel and the she tattooed her entire face but she was using her pen tips to do it um so i think she gave him his tattoos on the palm and then my aunt in maybe he was really good with his hands too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, his daughter my aunt uh does tattoo all by hand in holland and she did all of hers wow. as well as her daughter's okay yeah. Matt, do you have any um, tattoos? I do not see No, anything. I do not. I'm the only person who cooks for a living in New Orleans that does not That's what makes you famous. There's so. actually a really good reason for you that. You can't be buried in the Jewish cemetery? No, I'm not Jewish. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, um, when I was, I grew up with uh, really bad food allergies, and I was allergic to dye and like food coloring. So no Twinkies, no Jolly Ranchers, no Kool-Aid growing up. I guess that's oh. why I learned how to cook, you know, that you had to cook for yourself. Interesting. And uh, oh. that kind of translated uh, probably over protective parents. No, that's in, like injecting poison into your veins <gasps> if you get a tattoo. And Do you think they use stayed. that as a threat yeah. or do you think it's true? Uh, Does it go? And I mean, the end justifies the means it worked. <laughs> <I've never gotten> <laughs> <tattoo>. <laughs> I've thought about one, but I'm kind of glad because if I'd gotten one when I was 18, it would have been something stupid. So, yeah. No. I'm, yeah, I distinguish myself. I'm the only chef in New Orleans without a tattoo. <laughs> so. They always say, like, wait a year. Like, decide what mm. kind of tattoo you want and then wait a year to get it. And then if you still want to get the same one, then you're okay. But yeah. I'm know. waiting. I would get, if something blew me away, I would get it. So I'm waiting for that. I'm kind of doing that, too. Like, uh, whether or not to get any further, I'm basing it on would I have wanted this 10 years ago? Uh. And then I'll know, like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and do you want it 10 years in the future? I mean, yeah, exactly. is it something that, exactly. well, that's family, that's significant. And yeah. So we're going to let you, we, we say it's okay, okay you did it. We give you permission. <laughs> now, the only problem is you can't go on the lamb now because they can find you. Oh. You can't hide that one on your palm she of your hands. She uses a sword and chop this her hand off. This is my oh, disguise. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real reason why you're here. I'm hiding in plain sight. Well, <laughs> I, I can see this beautiful cake being Whoa, is this cut? one of your cakes, obviously? This is. This Whoa. Is a, what is this? A uh, chocolate salted caramel cake. And this is probably my most requested cake. Um, so the chocolate cake itself is... I'm just passing it around. Uh, the chocolate cake itself is uh, a double chocolate with a little bit of uh, co uh, uh, coffee in it. And um, I use a really high level of cocoa powder, mm. so there's a lot of chocolate in that. And it, I also melt some chocolate into the batter as well. Oh, wow. 
And then I make the salted caramel myself um, with a little. Now, where did you learn how to bake? Did you go to cooking school or? I didn't. I mean, I went to art school, so mostly self-taught, and then everything else, kind of learning on the job over the years. That is really good. And good old trial and error. Yes. (laughs) Well, the texture is lovely. Oh, thank you. And the flavor. And I honestly, I mean, I try desserts regularly because I really want to be a dessert person, but I don't like sweets. Oh so I'm God. not going to tell you I like that, something. Margo. I would well, love to have that gift. You know, this I'm very nice my person. downfall. I this would be a triathlete right now probably <laughs> if it wasn't for sweets instead of a fat middle aged slob, you know. This is really This has is balanced between savory and sweet. Thank you. And that's really hard for to me to a pre, to try a dessert and enjoy it. So Thank you very wow. much. Yeah, you know, I, uh, interestingly, I'm not a sweets person either. And <laughs> even when I ha- would eat sweets, I I would mm-hmm. more like the frosting than the cake because, you know, a lot of times, especially when you do art cakes and sculptural stuff, a lot of times the, the cake part isn't as flavorful or it's dry. Um, but I've turned myself into a cake person now because I was like, all right, the cakes out there that I didn't like, I'm going to make the ones that I do like. So I wouldn't consider myself a sweets person either. But... Mm. Uh, all right, let me well, ask I'll you, tell you when, I, when I looked at your uh, web, because I've never tried any of your cakes. I'm sorry to interrupt That's you. That's all right. I, um, when I looked at your web page, I saw these beautiful cakes, and I thought, okay, but it's going to be all, it's, it's more form over substance, you know? And then I tasted this. This is, like, really delicious. Thank if this you. didn't look, if this looked horrible, it would still be a fantastic <laughs> cake. <laughs> That's really, Thank that's got to be a challenge much. to make it look really good and also make it taste. You know, really it's good super important to me, and I, part of what I, uh, you know, I baked my whole life before I decided to start a, uh, a business for it. Um, there was an incident that was also a magical moment for me, but it was that um, I had uh, my nephews when they were very young over for Christmas, and I decided I was going to make them a big, uh, a big gingerbread house. But not j- then it turned into not just a gingerbread house; it's going to be a whole village. So my whole dining room table ca- was taken over by a gingerbread house, and trees and a forest and then I had to have a swimming pool for these little uh you know uh marshmallow penguins and then I made a whole like train with edible train with all carrying all the candy but the part that was important to me is that when you're a little kid and the holidays are so magical uh you don't want to bite into something and find that there's a cardboard structure or that that's not really edible (laughs) or it's held together with pins or that's really glue I really wanted their experience to be that everything when you when you're a kid and you look at that the magic is that it is all candy or it is all something that you can eat so it's really important to me that when I make those that everything is edible um when I do use support structures I usually try to use something that is um, also biodegradable so when I we throw it away it's like there's cardboard and there's different things in there but everything is reusable um, I don't use re- I really don't use any kind of like Rice Krispie Treat kind of stuff it's all usually cake and every th- every part of it should be edible to me Wow! so that's really important okay so I, I know some people like you know it's it's a cheap computer effect you can you can get somebody a photo and they'll print icing <laughs> so it's like a printer you know it'll, yeah. it'll print a photo of somebody and you know, that was cute the first few times, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's just basically made by a machine. But you're actually like, you know, you're an artist. You're, you're making these sort of, um, you know, your rendition of folks. So you can get something that looks like your dog. But, like, can you, get, can you, like you, you could make a cake. If I asked you, like, can I have a cake that looks just like Margot? You could get me mm-hmm. a cake that looks like Margot. <laughs> exactly. Or, like, a gross one that looks like Grant or something mm-hmm. like that, right? <laughs> you could do yeah. That. I mean, when people have uh, come to me with those type of requests, then usually it's something that you'd model out of fondant but or you would do paint paint on the uh fondant to have a painterly effect uh-uh. but when people have come to me with those that's usually like if you really just want a photo print you got to go to costco <laughs> otherwise it's still gonna be i'm still gonna you know i'm gonna do that my own way basically yeah okay this may be a silly question but oh, silly questions <laughs> okay well okay i'm being anyway do have either of y'all ever what do you feel about these like food competition shows or oh. like cake competitions have have either of y'all if you were asked to do I don't know what it's called the cake one but would you do it or do you are you opposed to that I'm not realm? opposed to it I mean I, a cup I maybe it was a year or two ago I was approached by one of them and at the time I chose not to and partly it's that um and maybe this also kind of answers your question about my uh, my heritage as opposed to my work, is that 
baking to me is a really sort of zen activity. Mm. Uh, it's a luxury to be not in the kind of um, stressful kitchen that the average chef is in. Oh. I operate under a completely different environment. Uh, and so uh, even though it can be stressful and you're on a deadline, I get to be in a zone that to me is very zen and that which is why I love what I do because I can really enjoy it. I can de-stress through through baking and cooking. Um, and on a lot of the shows, the, the high stress, I think a lot of people make mistakes and do crazy stuff because they're under a lot of stress and they're in a different kitchen. And so it's, it's not necessarily representational of your work. Um, but do I do crazy things on TV and on the radio and stuff? Sure, I do those all the time. So probably, <laughs> you know, um, those kind of things. The, uh, there's a some people filming upcoming uh, an upcoming program about uh, about parade culture and stuff. So, in general, I'll do a lot of crazy things for entertainment purposes. Okay. And would I now? Probably, I might now. But in general, I would want to avoid something that might be overly stressful. Okay. Hmm. And now what about oh, for okay. you? Uh, uh, you know, with several years, I guess maybe. 06, 07, I was approached about that. Um, there were two of us that were cooks, you know, basically in those days, there were, might be a sous chef at three different restaurants. There just weren't enough cooks in town, you know. And uh, there were two of us that worked together. Where were you um, working? Uh, well, I was at Iris when, when it was on Jeanette Street. When oh, we first yeah, it. right. Um, I was sous Where Boucherie is now. Yeah, and where yeah. Boucherie, and in fact, Nathaniel Zimmet, yeah. uh, who yeah. owns Boucherie, was kind of hopped in and was cooking with us occasionally. He's been a guest there. on our show. Yeah. Oh, good guy. Very yeah, good guy. Great guy. But um, no, he actually, we were both kind of dipped our toes in that and he went and he, I think he made it to like the second or third round. But both of us had the same impression of that is that it's was a lot more showmanship and a lot less cooking than anything else. Mm. Now, So you d actually did it? You you well, went through a... We, we kind of went through a little local filter. You uh -huh. know, just kind of submitted some recipes and did a stood in front of a camera and you know were asked some questions the, i think the very telling thing was that uh one of the questions actually had to do with cooking or food uh, <laughs> the 20 you know there are 20 other questions how do you work with others are you a person that yells on the line you know and, ah. yeah. and they were hoping so they were you were looking, a psycho kind of yeah, yeah they, they yeah. wanted to be looking be, for be drama yeah. yeah i mean most of the celebrity yeah. show, show i mean the uh, reality shows to me like uh, deal with like mentally ill people i mean it's mostly like <laughs> crazy I've crazy with a lot people. of those people too right no. fortunately <laughs> new orleans though that's called new orleanians sure. like that's pretty much everybody's mentally ill right be here, right <laughs> well yeah, yeah and you know uh, to answer that question directly if PBS or someone were to put out a cooking show, I would love to do something like that. Right. But if it's on Bravo or Fox, you know, it, here I am just Matthew cooking in New Orleans, you know, but still, <laughs> if it, so who am I to pick, you know, but at the same time, if it, if it, the whole drama thing is not really appealing to me. And yeah. So Matthew, hmm. when you're not on TV, what, what, what <laughs> restaurants have you worked in? Like what are some of the places you've worked? Oh, well, um, I'll tell you what, a place I was very proud of for a while was uh, the Day Sioux at a Cobalt before, uh, before Katrina, Hotel Monaco, ah. uh, where Luke is now and uh, the Hilton St. Charles. And, of course, you know, Kempton was the hotel group that owned that. They left town. Ah. And uh, after that, um, this kind of cooked everywhere. I cooked for FEMA for a while. Uh, <laughs> I cooked. Uh, we pretty much – I wasn't there at the grand, grand opening of Iris, but I was there pretty much a week or two after that opened that. And – uh, Did you know Jeffrey Fauché there? Did Jeff you know Fauché. Yeah, he might have been a little bit Sounds after familiar. your time. Yeah, go ahead. No. Keep going. But, um, no, that's honestly uh, Ian Schneblin. I yeah. learned more about cooking from that guy than anyone else. One Love of the greatest guy. guys on the yeah. planet. Yeah, Laurie and, Laurie and him both. But uh, no, I worked for him for a while. Um, after that, we uh, I kind of assisted with just like an extra hand with opening up Seven on Fulton uh -huh. uh, Riverfront Hotel. Yeah. Again, that was kind of an all hands on deck kind of a thing, but uh, great was, eggs there. I like the breakfast. That, it was yeah. a great experience, just especially in those in, in that environment. You know, with the way things were then, just opening up a restaurant. You know, from it's stressful enough doing it from scratch anyway, but then in the circumstances of being 2006 in this city, you know, yeah. our lead line cook was a baptist minister 50 year old man who had not cooked since the army in the 70s <laughs> but he was the only cook we had you know and half the time we didn't so you just ate it like mris then <laughs> it, it was pretty much everybody did everything all the time it was a very it was a learning experience that's for I'm sure. picturing like mr costanza right now you know <laughs> remember, yeah. remember, remember yeah. that's those scenes from uh, korea very was, nice man cook, yeah. he was essential with getting that place off the ground but, cool uh, well Midori, have you ever worked in a restaurant setting? Have you ever? 
Uh, I worked briefly with the folks at Revista. On oh, okay. love them. Yeah, they've yeah. been on the show too. Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are the only New Orleans folks that I've worked with here. Um, but uh, other than that, mainly as from a catering aspect, so all special orders. So again, that's why I've been able to avoid the stress of the regular uh, kitchen atmosphere. Now, have you ever cooked a, a cake that was too beautiful to eat? Like you, at the end of it, you just look at it and said, <laughs> "I can't mess this up. We gotta, we gotta, you know, spray this with something to glaze <laughs> it, and you know, keep it as a art piece." There's always that momentary part of certain creations where you want to just kind of sit back and 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 uh, absorb that. But I think that's also part of what we're talking about with um, the artwork that I create, the conceptual things that I would make in college is that um, I like making things that have a specific lifetime. And mm. if you look at something like food or baking, um, it's kind of like appreciating flour that you almost force yourself to really appreciate everything and absorb as much as you can because you know in every moment that you look at it, it's slowly dying. It's going to change at every moment. So I think you appreciate it more and in a different way than a painting that you know is always going to be static and be the same way. Um, being able to make the hats that I've made are something, it's one of the few things that I can make that sits there and it's always going to be the same. Now are you the great Hatsby? Is the that great you? great Hatsby, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Clever you do St. Catharines, <laughs> I know, is great, great parade. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, it started out that um, I, I've always also done costuming and I do cosplay stuff, which is why I've been in the parade culture. Um, and a few years ago, a friend called me up the night before the St. Catharines Day parade. I think it might have been 2010, and she was like, Hey, there's a hat parade tomorrow. You should go. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, but there's a, a award for the best hat. I was like, well, now I got to stay up all night and make a fantastic hat. <laughs> so, okay. So I did, and I made. I stayed up all night, and I made a hat. It did was you a, win? I won. What? And the best 2010, that's when you first got here. So it was when I, my first year here, and the prize was that Come you on. got to be the Grand Marshal the following year. Oh, Holy my gosh. So wow. That's why I had to win. So then the next year I got to be the Grand Marshal and I made another hat. And that's the, the that second hat is the one that I used, the birdcage frame from my that was yeah. supposed to be for my wedding cake. I used that for a hat. And then now I'm on the board for St. Catherine's Day Parade for the future. Um, so... You know, it seems like in yeah. other cities, like, you know, to be Grand Marshal of Parade, you got to be somebody's granddaughter and you know, da 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 And here we have a few crews that are like that. But for the most part, you know, you can show up in town and six months later you're making a hat, you win the <laughs> contest, and now you're Grand Marshal of the Parade next year. I mean, what a great New Orleans story that Bird is. Cage we know. I, yeah. Well, one thing <laughs> I was saying to like. And that was the one that was supposed to be on It was supposed to be, yeah, that was the one that was supposed to be on my wedding cake. It was the cake, the frame supposed I made. It your own that. wedding cake. You yeah. made a hat out of it and you yeah. won. Yeah. Now, uh, you're... So you've created, you've already created, like, history in New Orleans in three years. A so, little bit, yeah. Um, Yay. So you, you can't leave. Yay! Basically, you're, you're <laughs> a... <laughs> well, tell it to my husband now. We're, not, we're, we're stuck here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know what I was going to say, too, about, uh, uh, about that is that moving here, there's a certain aspect of culture here that is immediately welcoming, and there's a certain aspect of culture that um, you need to pay your dues. So initially here, I felt very welcomed, and there's a lot of stuff that I could just jump right in, and being that kind of personality, I'll jump right in and do stuff. Um, but I also feel like in order to be taken seriously, it, there's a, a process of a few years where I think a lot of people come here for school or for work things, and so they're not gonna be here more than a year or two years, three years. So it really was after that three-year mark where I felt like residents or long-term locals finally said, all right, you're not moving away. Well, you're okay. You can stay. You're one of us. <laughs> and I felt it was the first time that I felt I was really begun to be taken seriously um, mm -hmm. in business and as an artist. So it's beyond, the initial stage is very welcoming and fun. But there's a stage where I think you still need to prove yourself, which coming from Chicago, I never thought, oh, well, I, I felt like I paid my dues. But I think you have to, re no matter where you are, whether it's music or whatever you've done, you sort of need to repay those dues here. And people appreciate that. A respect that uh, drive. All right, now's the time for a segment we like to call Off the Menu. These are questions that you would not normally uh, be asked on a cooking school application. Margot, do you have a question for our guest? Yes, I'll ask you, Matt, first. Um, hmm. If you could magically have any other career, what would it be? Do I have to pick one? Yes. <laughs> Uh, fishing guide and off the coast of Central America somewhere. Oh. Ah. You've thought about this, obviously. Every day. 
Why? Uh, I've had the opportunity to go to um, Central Mexico and Southern Mexico on the West Coast and a lot of different places. Love Latin American culture. Love Mexican culture. It's a great country. A lot of people don't unfairly nervous about going to, but uh, just it's a very nice lifestyle. Um, there's a lot of people that live there, especially on the West Coast, that are uh, surfing guides and you know and teachers. I know I could never do that, but if I could uh, own a little fishing guide and cook the catch and run a cafe, you know, afterwards, I yeah, yeah. I could live out the rest of my days there. That's no kind of cheating it. though, because that's halfway being a cook still. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. It's an attainable. Well, can, I think that's keep, wonderful. You can keep the cafe part then. I'll just be the fishing guy. <laughs> yeah. I'll hire a cook. How about yeah. that? Right. Good answer. Yeah. Okay, and we have one for you, too, Midori. Um, what is one food item that you would bring with you to a deserted island? You just bring one item with you. you I mean, we're assuming you're not just going to eat that, right? You guess you could eat everything that, that's local to the island. But you get to bring one with you in addition to that. Oh, chocolate. Absolutely. Chocolate. Chocolate. I probably eat chocolate. I, mean, I say I don't have a sweet tooth, but I do. Not only do I eat chocolate every day, yeah. but uh, <laughs> if I know that I'm running low on chocolate in the house, I get that panicky feeling like, uh-oh. <laughs> There, there, maybe there's not enough to last a night. I might, I might wake up and need some chocolate. So when the Weather Channel 50 times a summer starts saying, oh, the hurricane might be coming, yeah. we like that. Oh, look, you there's activity. You guys can stock up Everybody on else canned is goods water. and water, yeah, and I will have like all of the chocolate. Hmm. All of it. That's mm -hmm. smart. Comfort food. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, it has a lot of different Look, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, right? I'm going to die happy. Yeah. <laughs> you can right, be, like you're going to be alive and well hydrated, and I will be happily dead in my chocolate coffin. <laughs> All right. Okay, speaking of chocolate <laughs> coffins, Beautiful. I have a question for you, and oh, I don't want to forget nice it. nice segue. You have a chocolate coffin question prepared for her? Wow, that was really, you've well, all prepared. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, the name of your uh, cake business is? Nola Voodoo Cakes. Now, how did you come up with uh, that? Um, it was... When I moved here, and uh, like the cake that you just had, which is my, one of my most requested, it's, it's based on a chocolate cake, um, I was into, and because I like to make things with a theme, I really wanted to make something that was very New Orleans-centric, but almost interactive. So what I've been working on in my top secret lab <laughs> is uh, a voodoo cake that is, it's a voodoo doll and I'm working on, I'm trying different sizes and different ways to do it. But um, basically it's a little chocolate cake with a center uh, that is uh, caramel based that you can pierce. So it's a cute little voodoo doll that's delicious. It, it has spills out caramel, and it will, yeah, but tinted caramel. So it feels it's there's you know it's you can it's like blood, it's like blood. So but chocolate <laughs> coffins relate. So okay, wait, super you're still working on this. You're not done with it yet. Well, I've tried. You, you know what? You guys can be uh, my should, lab should, yeah, because I'm trying different part, ones. We want someone else to steal your And idea. the difference is, <laughs> thank you. So the difference is like um, making things that are uh, more manageable, are you know, as opposed to things that are more decorative and bigger. So I'm just trying different ones but if you want I like can an individual sized yeah they'd like be a, like more the, like a like the way the gift shop voodoo like dolls a, would be yeah. like a like either like a, the smaller ones are more like a little snack cake and then the larger ones are more like um po boy size so uh you guys can be my victims <laughs> yay wow you can try now is that something you could like wrap dinner. up you think and like ship you, uh, maybe you need preservatives i don't know can you, can you like get that order that line you know like, well you know too, i wonder if other places in the country would pr appreciate it though they might well who cares if they appreciate it who cares they'll know it's weird and they'll want i've it. tried some before we that i tried wrapping and i think well, the conclusion is that most especially when people ask to ship things and, and shipping cakes and stuff um, most time, I would say in general, decorated cakes I don't want to ship, except for I will ship the decorative topping, so that if I make a design or a fondant or decorative piece, I can ship those. Um, decorated cookies ship really, really well. Okay, let me give you an idea. Mm -hmm. my, our, our mutual friend uh, Erica Avila is the most creative person I've ever met in my life, and she has a voodoo doll she sets up for each football team during Saints season. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, it. right, and she puts them on, have you seen those? She puts them yeah. on her mantle, and so, like, when it's Broncos, she makes a Bronco voodoo doll. She dresses <laughs> like a Bronco, and she sticks a sword through it or whatever and, you know, hangs it or whatever she does with it. You could do that. That would be a marketing thing. Like so you, could, you could send voodoo dolls of things that people don't like. like the, that the was my idea, team. is that either as a celebratory cute thing or as 
another thing like you could order one because you just quit your job and put your old boss's name on it <laughs> you could have you know how they make divorce cakes they have divorce cakes you could have one that someone you don't like or you could have some that you do like it could be a love spell and you put your you know sweetheart's name on it and you do something sweet to oh, it oh the social media so potential this is positive like and negative. fantastic you sell one of these it's really creative and then it goes viral because everybody's <laughs> putting a picture on facebook or whatever that's great but customizable as well so yeah yes gosh you're a genius well, unfortunately, we the, time? the evening, the stars are coming out in the ceiling of <laughs> Grill by the Hill here. And um, so before She's we go, caring. can we uh, have both of y'all uh, tell, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you and uh, purchase an extraordinary cake and have you cater their sure. event? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can reach either of us um, if you would like to cater your event through crescentcookery.com. And um, Matthew will give you the phone number for that. Um, you can go to my uh, Facebook or domain name of nolabudicakes.com and uh, contact about custom work. Or you can go right through uh, Crescent Cookery and order everything you need. Multifaceted. Yeah, that's that's basically... Can you give them the phone number? Oh, yeah. That's 504 224 Zero two one nine. Say it again. Five zero four two two four zero two one nine, and uh, that's crescentcookery.com. Um, again, Facebook page. Feel free to like me on there uh, to get updates about some different specials we're running. And uh, you can, if you're just interested in uh, cakes or pastries, you know you can go through either one of us, and you can get both of us. So nice. um, if you want a catering with savory and sweet, uh, just Synergy. contact one of us. Our special guest tonight was Midori Tajeri Bird of Nola Voodoo Cakes, and her plus one was Matthew Radcliffe. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Grant Morris, and Chris Keogh is our technical director. And this fabulous audio quality that you hear is by PreSonus Audio Electronics. It makes all kinds of wonderful things. Visit PreSonus.com for more information. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website. It's NewOrleans.com. And from there, you can follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, sign up for our mailing list, get all kinds of swag. Uh, and while you're at It'sNewOrleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One and our other shows, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, Vietnola, Out to Lunch, and others. And if you listen to the show on iTunes, uh, please rate us and review us. It helps other people to find us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. So we meet here again. I am Ray Canada. And I'm Margo Moss. Thanks. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.